This morning we have the special pleasure of uh, having a member of our church who's often uh, many thousands of miles away here worshiping with us and also uh, sharing and teaching with us, preaching this morning. So this is Steve Thrall. You want to come on up, Steve? Most of you know Steve very well, but if you're newer to the life of JCC, he may be a new face to you. Uh, Steve and his wife, Mickey, uh, minister now outside of Paris, right up in Normandy? He's in Paris also, but we live in Normandy, yeah. So they're, they've kind of recently in the last few years had uh, a move, but continue to minister in some of the same communities with uh, the arts community in, in and around Paris. Um, so Steve is going to bring God's word to us this morning, but Steve, can I pray for you as you sure. do that? Lord Jesus, I am uh, grateful for Steve's love for you for his love uh, of your people across the world, and for uh, just the the growing wisdom and discernment you've given him to see um, who you are reflected in in beauty, the way that creation reveals your truth, and Lord, the witness you have given them uh, to invite others who are are longing and searching for that meaning uh, to see who you are, uh, an invitation to know you, uh, the source, the creator of every good and perfect gift. And I just pray you would empower Steve now uh, as he preaches. May the words of his mouth, may the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks for being here. Thanks. It's a pleasure to be here. I hope you won't be offended. I'm just going to have to move this Bible because my computer is the only thing that will allow me to preach today. I couldn't print. <laughs> so it, it really is a joy to be here. And I, I've said before, it's, it's always like it is coming home. I mean, this is home for us. And uh, we just don't get here very often, but uh, it's a joy. So I want to share with you uh, today a message in, during the second Sunday of Advent. And uh, uh, Pastor Dave suggested... Uh, a passage that uh, he was looking at, and it's uh, the first part of the book of Matthew. And you may remember, this is the uh, long list, genealogical list uh, of Jesus. So, um, but right after that, there's a verse in, uh, in verse 23 uh, that said, it says, oops, hang on, just see. <laughs> Look, the virgin will conceive a child, she will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel which means God is with us. Emmanuel, God is with us. The scriptures teach that Jesus was God incarnate, uh, God in human flesh. But what does that really mean? That Jesus was both God and man. He was the God-man. Jesus called himself the Son of Man when he referred to himself, referring to uh, the fact that he was human, a human being, the Son of Man. He was fathered by the Spirit of God in, in the womb of a human being, Mary, his mother. So, logically, we, you know, with our knowledge of genetics, we say, well, that means that uh, he was half God and half man. That's logical, isn't it, humanly speaking? Is that right? No, because the Scripture is very clear that Jesus... Uh, was both fully God and fully man. 
And that's, that's a, obviously a mystery. Something that uh, uh, goes far beyond our human capacity to, to latch onto. It's something that we know from Scripture, we can affirm it as true, and yet it, it remains a mystery. But it's, it's God's gift to us. Uh, and I want to unpack that a little bit this morning. This knowledge that Jesus is fully God and fully man is a key to our understanding of, of salvation. Uh, and, um, and for the... Uh, and for this reason, it was at the forefront of hundreds of years of conflict uh, between different church leaders at the beginning of the, of the, 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 the first couple hundred years of uh, the life of the church because there was an um, ongoing conflict over this whole idea of the humanity of Jesus. They were in a Greek culture, and in Greek culture, the material world was played down as evil and unnecessary and uh, uh, anyone who wanted to aspire to something spiritual had to divest himself of anything related to the material world as much as humanly possible. And so the whole notion that Jesus was, uh, was really human in the fullest sense of the word was anathema to many Greek, um, Greek people, or Greek-speaking people. There's the doctrine of docetism. The doctrine that Jesus only seemed to be human and that his human form was really just an illusion. There's the doctrine of Nestorianism, the heresy that taught that Mary really only gave birth to Jesus' human nature, but in essence, the heresy maintained that Jesus was really two separate people. Uh, and the, the, the Jesus from Mary's womb was a merely human form. And then there's Gnosticism, which we may know a little bit more about, but basically the idea that matter is evil, man is trapped in this material world, uh, in a human body that's, that's material, and that um, there's only special knowledge that will liberate the human spirit to be reunited with the, the God, the spirit. Uh, and so all of this plays down the humanity of Jesus. We just can't grasp it. Now, generally speaking, we don't have too much trouble with the notion that Jesus is God's son. So therefore, uh, his divine nature is something that, although it's a mystery, we can understand that. Because Jesus is not like us, and it's a good thing. We're aware of that. So we can embrace that even if we don't fully understand it. We have a little bit more trouble understanding the implications of Jesus really being fully human. So I was debating on whether to read all of uh, Matthew chapter uh, 1, verses 1 through 17. I think we're going to do it. (laughs) So let's look at it. This is the record of the ancestors of Jesus the Messiah, the descendant of David and Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron was the father of Ram. Ram was the father of Aminadab. Aminadab was the father of Nashon. Nashon was the father of Salmon. Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed was the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother was Bathsheba, the widow of Uriah. Solomon was the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam was the father of Abijah. 
Abijah was the father of Asa. Asa was the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat was the father of Joram. Joram was the father of Uzziah. Uzziah was the father of Jotham. Jotham was the father of Ahaz. Ahaz was the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah was the father of Manasseh. Manasseh was the father of Ammon. And Ammon was the father of Josiah. Josiah was the father of Jehoiachin and his brothers, who were born at the time of the exile of Bab- into Babylon. After the Babylonian exile, Jehoiachin was the father of Shitiel. Shitiel was the father of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel was the father of Abiud. Abiud was the father of Eliakim. Eliakim was the father of Azor. Azor was the father of Zadok. Zadok was the father of Akim. Akim was the father of Eliud. Eliud was the father of Eleazar. Eleazar was the father of Matan. Matan was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. Mary gave birth to Jesus, who is called the Messiah. So this is the ancestry of Jesus. Now, I don't know if you've done any uh, uh, ancestral research. Uh, I have. I've done a fair amount on my family. Discovered a lot of things. Um, And... You know, if you use Ancestry.com, that's one of the big ones, but there's a variety of, of very helpful tools that make it easier and easier to do research. And the more you dig, the more interesting things that, that you find. There's some people in the family line we're very proud of. In my case, I'm very proud of the fact that I'm related to at least half of the, of the, the little Puritan community that started the state of Connecticut. They all came over on the same boat, and we know a little bit of the history of that. And I like that. There's another man in my ancestry who is a hero in the Revolutionary War. I'm proud of that, too. Um, But there's also someone in my uh, uh, direct ancestry who all I know about him is that, quote, he was an odd-looking man who wandered around and told strange stories. (laughs) That's all I know about him. Um, My great-great-grandfather, I learned as I did some research, committed suicide. He jumped off the top of a building in New York City in the mid-1800s, a few years after he immigrated from uh, Germany. Left his wife and four children destitute uh, and without a place to live. Not a a nice story. Thankfully, a little aside, one of those those little sons that he had, uh, as he grew up, uh, encountered D.L. Moody and became a believer, and that changed the course of his life. But that's a little... I know someone else who's related to Hermann Goering, Hitler's right-hand man. Very few people know that about her. She didn't tell anybody about it. Why would you? Uh, she's not proud of that. I don't even know exactly how they're related. I think Goering's grandfather and her great-grandfather were brothers, I think, something like that. But anyways. So there are people that we would rather not spend time talking about. There's thieves and slave traders and a variety of other unsavory people in our in our ancestry, once we start digging in, everyone who does some digging will find stuff like this. Just, just to warn you. Um, but we live in this beautiful world that God made, but it's full of suffering and human dysfunction and tragedy. We have both. It's not one or the other, it's both. And it's all mixed up together. This is life on this, on this planet. And Jesus is no exception. His ancestry is the same as ours. It was full of humans that were wonderful and humans that were broken and humans that were downright evil. And we're going to look at that. 
let's look at some of the good guys. In uh, Matthew chapter 1, chapter 1, verse 2, it says, Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac was the father of Jacob, and Jacob was the, uh, yeah, Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac was the father of Jacob. So these three people are keys to understanding scripture even. Uh, over and over again, we hear, hear the phrase, uh, God, the father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is, uh, these guys, uh, they weren't perfect, far from it. Uh, they had warts, but they knew how to trust God. And we look to them and say, wow, you know, imagine if we had an ancestry that had Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in it. We'd be pretty, pretty excited. Um, Abraham, was, Abraham lived in a distant uh, city, was called by God to leave it and go without being told exactly where he's going. Took his whole family, all his possessions, and started wandering. But he's honored for his faith in Hebrews chapter 11. Scripture tells us that Abraham believed God and God counted it as righteousness. This is powerful stuff. Isaac was his son. At the age of 99, Abraham became a father. And Isaac was his son. Uh, And he was was renamed renamed Israel. I'm sorry. Uh, Isaac was a child of promise. And he was the father of Jacob, who was named, renamed Israel. The name of Israel is the name of the nation today. These are powerful people. Then there's King David, probably the most exciting of all of them. David was far from perfect as well. We know that. And yet, uh, David is called a man after God's own heart. These are the kind of people you want in, in the genealogy of the Messiah, the Son of God. This is good stuff. There's Solomon, and Hezekiah, and Josiah. And there's Joseph, Jesus' father, humanly speaking. Uh, these are good men. Then, we can, then there's also in this list, it's interesting, there's women listed, and this is unusual for a Jewish um, uh, ancestry. But the author wants us to know about these women. Uh, this is important. The first woman listed is Tamar. Who is Tamar? Do you remember? Some of you do. Tamar was Judah's daughter-in-law. Jacob's son, Judah, uh, one of the 12. Uh, And Judah uh, had two sons. Tamar was married to both of them, one after the other. And they both died. Not only died, but God killed them because they were evil men. Tamar was uh, probably a Canaanite woman. And Judah didn't want anything more to do with her. Probably thought that she caused these deaths and uh, just wanted no more responsibility for her, even though he had a responsibility for her. So Tamar's solution, she disguised herself as a prostitute. Knew, knew Judah's weakness, and he would go for a good prostitute, and, and he, she actually has, had twin sons. One of those sons was Perez. So in Jesus' ancestry, we have Judah, who went out looking for a prostitute. We have Tamar, uh, his daughter-in-law, and the, the child that was born to Tamar, Perez, all three of these people are in Jesus' direct line. Not the kind of story you, you want to quickly tell uh, all your friends and family. Then there's Rahab. Rahab is different. But she's also a Canaanite woman. So several generations later, she worked as a prostitute. This, she was a real prostitute. She, she wasn't just pretending. This was her job. She was a prostitute servicing the men of the city of Jericho. 
But what, was, what happened with, with Rahab? Do you remember? She believed God. She protected the, uh, the spies of Israel that came to, to scout out the land. And God spared her. And she's even honored in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 31, as a woman of great faith. She was also uh, one of Jesus' great, 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 great grandmothers, a prostitute. Then there's Ruth. She was from Moab. She, she was not a Jew as, either. But she followed her mother-in-law back to Israel uh, after, after tragedy struck. And uh, she proved to be uh, a wonderfully God, wonderful, godly woman, uh, a woman who's honored. And it's interesting. You know, these women are, are cited in this genealogy. It's important to the author that we know about these key women as well. Then there's Bathsheba. Remember Bathsheba? David thought she was uh, one of the most beautiful women she'd, he'd ever seen. Undoubtedly, she was gorgeous. But she was married. And uh, David wanted her. And David had her, her husband killed in battle and took her. And her son uh, that she bore died. But later on, she was the mother of Solomon. So we have uh, Bathsheba. It wasn't her fault. She was probably a godly woman, a beautiful woman. Couldn't do anything about her situation and found herself in this ugly, nasty situation. But God used her. <laughs> and she became the, father, uh, the mother of Solomon, one of Israel's greatest kings, David's son. And last but not least, of course, we have Mary, who cited. Mary, Jesus' mother. Can we show the next slide? I think I have a picture of, of yeah, there she is. This is a painting by a, an American painter named Henry Oswa Tanner. I don't know if you know who Henry Oswa Tanner was. He was a black American in the 1800s who couldn't find any traction being uh, honored as a painter in this country, so he, he left and went to France, and they love him. And this is one of his paintings. He was, a, he was the son of a pastor. And here's Mary, simple uh, teenage girl, uh, and the, the light here is, represents the angel, as the angel's speaking to Mary. Um, I, I, I love this painting. But Mary was a, uh, a wonderfully faithful young woman, but she didn't have a, a, a halo polished, uh, permanently perched on her head. She was a sinner, just like you and me. But even as, at a young age like this, as a teenager, she had learned how to be humble and obedient to God, even when God asked her this outlandish thing to, to become pregnant, even without having any sexual relations. Mary believed God, and God loved that attitude. But Mary was like any other teenager of the day. She probably had a lot of energy. She was probably in a working-class family, worked very hard. She probably had acne like a lot of other teenagers. She was just like us. Mary was just like us. And that was Jesus' mother. There's a few other ancestors that we don't even want to mention. One of them is Rehoboam. Rehoboam was Solomon's son. But Rehoboam was arrogant. And Rehoboam... It caused the division of the nation of Israel into two separate parts that ended up uh, fighting each other, fighting and killing each other in battle. That was a, a result of Rehoboam. And even worse than that was Manasseh. Manasseh was the most evil king in Judah's history. 
He was uh, an idolater. He set up idols all over Israel. He killed many of God's people. He encouraged uh, child sacrifice. It was quite common at at that time because the king was encouraging it. This was an extremely evil man. And he also is one of Jesus' direct ancestors. Emmanuel, God with us. I think we have, through looking through this ancestor, we have a, a better grasp on the idea that Jesus really is one of us, just like us. Uh, there's probably a few of your ancestors that you haven't told other people about. Jesus didn't necessarily tell other people. He didn't go around saying, Here, here's my lineage. We knew he was the son of Abraham, son of David. That, that was, that, that's what counted. But here's some of the other people. People like us. Uh, people who are broken. People who have failed. People who are weak. Uh, but they're in the line too. Jesus, the son of man, Jesus, uh, the God-man, was rooted in a specific time and place in human history, once and forever. It it wasn't something that he just, uh, sort of like a placeholder for 33 years of his life. No, he entered human life once and forever. He became human flesh. The perfect holy son of God was not afraid to become one of us. He was not afraid to enter into our sin-filled culture, interact with it day in and day out, like us. Uh, He even had ancestors who were notorious sinners. But Jesus was both fully God and fully man. And this fact uh, gives a sense to the crucifixion. If Jesus hadn't been both fully God and fully man... The crucifixion would have just been a sad story with a sad ending. And the resurrection wouldn't have had any value to it. It would have been meaningless. Even if Jesus had been raised from the dead miraculously like Lazarus was, he still would have died again, and he wouldn't have had the power to bring eternal life to anyone else, much less his own. Jesus was fully man as well as fully God. This is the mystery. So Jesus is this surprising gift. I want to unpack that just a little bit before we close. Paul said that when we preach that Christ was crucified, Jews are offended and the Gentiles say it's all foolish nonsense. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 23. Why were the Jews offended? They're looking for the Messiah. The Messiah, a Messiah who is weak, and dies? No, that's not Messiah. Messiah is one who's powerful, conquering, uh, mighty, who's going to set up this amazing kingdom. We don't want a, weak, a weakling, someone who dies on a cross. No. So the Jews are offended. And the Gentiles, the whole notion that Jesus uh, would, uh, would be uh, this... this uh, human being in human flesh, so weak that he can't stand up to the Roman Empire. He can't stand up to, to all the accusations. He's nailed to a cross. Uh, and it shows that he really is really, truly material. He's not spiritual. He's just material. So the, the, so the Greeks, uh, 
the, the Greeks think this, this is all nonsense. It's insane to talk about a Messiah like this. But let me tell you a little story to illustrate what I'm going to say. Can we show the next slide? This is a painting. I'm not sure if you heard the story, but uh, this past June in France, uh, there's a 90-year-old woman that finally had to move into a retirement home. And her kids and grandkids were helping her move, and they recommended that uh, the, her house be just emptied and everyone, everything thrown away. They didn't think there was much value to it. She, was, uh, she didn't have a lot, of, a lot of means. But the woman said, well, there's, there's some furniture I have that I, I think has some value. So she, she convinced them to allow her to, to send in a, a, a woman who would appraise the value of her furniture. And the woman came from the auction house and looked and said to, the, said to her family, uh, your kids are right. It doesn't have any value. You might as well just get rid of it. And as she was leaving, she was walking through the woman's kitchen on her way out and noticed a little painting on the wall, this one right here. And she looked at it and said to the woman, tell me about this painting. And the woman said, oh, it's just a religious icon. It's been in the family for ages. Just, just dismissed it like that. And the woman took it off the wall and turned it around and looked at it. And she said, I believe from looking at this, this is actually from the Middle Ages. And if I'm right, it could be worth a lot of money. It could be three or 400,000 euros. So she said, but I'm going to have to take it to the Louvre to get it validated. She took it, he took it, no, she took it to the Louvre. The guy at the Louvre looked at it as, and he knew exactly what it was because the Louvre has two other paintings by the same painter. And it was on the same board. They, they were painted all on the same board and then cut up after the French Revolution, cut up in pieces and sold individually. And um, the, the man said, this is the painting by Chimabue. Chimabue is from the uh, uh, 12th century and he was, uh, uh, he was uh, the key painter to go from Byzantine art, very flat, to uh, Western art, which developed the idea of depth and perception and, and the uh, clothing that had uh, folds and uh, pleats in it. And he was an amazing artist. When it went to auction uh, at the end of October, it was sold for $24 million. Euros. Now, this is painting had been hanging on this woman's wall for ages, and probably her son or uh, father or mother before that. And no one ever thought about it. They walked by. It was hanging right next to her stove where she made all her meals, hanging on the wall right here while she's cooking at the stove. 24 million euros, nearly $30 million worth of painting hanging there. My point is this it was this, this unexpected hidden gift. Jesus was just like that. He was human. He wasn't expected, he wasn't the great, mighty, powerful, conquering Messiah that the Jews all expected. He wasn't this, this uh, div- divine, spiritual being floating uh, above mankind that made pronouncements that the Greeks were looking for. He was perfect, perfectly fully human. He was in a weak human body. He had the same amount of strength as you and I did. He got hungry like you and I did. He got tired after a long walk like you and I do. Uh, he probably had bunions or, you know, calluses. and Just like you and I, he had a fully human body. And no one recognized him as the Son of God, the powerful, amazing Son of God. 
the Messiah who is fully God, but in human form. He comes as a weak, helpless baby uh, from a long line of, uh, of humanity, lying in uh, a cattle's food, food, food trough from very humble parents who didn't have a place to stay overnight and end up staying in the barn. But this tiny baby was the hope of the whole world. This is what all of humanity had been waiting for. And people miss it, just like that painting hanging on the wall. They missed it. Most people just walked right by and never gave it another thought. Jesus is still and forevermore Emmanuel, God with us. The Bible says he's not afraid to call us brothers and sisters. He's one of us. And so much so, he will remain one of us for all eternity. The Bible calls Jesus, uh, says in uh, 1 Timothy 2, there is one God and one mediator who can reconcile God to humanity, the man, Christ Jesus. This is after Jesus' resurrection and going back to sit at the right hand of the Father. He's still in human form. After the resurrection, he has a glorified body. He still has that body. And the Bible also tells us that those of us who follow him, we also will be resurrected and will have the same body as Jesus. He's the model for us. Jesus didn't suddenly shed this this poor human corpse. Uh, he, He retained this body, but it's been glorified. He is permanently mankind. He didn't just come to be like us for 33 years. He is still like us. And we will be like him. That is an amazing message. The surprising gift that God hid and has, I'm sure has a great smile on his face when anyone discovers that gift and embraces it. And that's why I think that when we worship God and uh, like Mary, we have that attitude of humble obedience, even if you don't understand. We don't have to understand everything. We have to know what God asks us to do and say, okay, Lord, give me strength. Help me to do that and do it. So let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for uh, this wonderful, wonderful gift, Lord. And we've only just begun to scratch the surface of understanding what it really meant for God, the creator, to enter his creation, not just for a few years, but permanently in order to save us and draw us to God the Father. Lord, we are grateful. We are so grateful, and we thank you for your love. In Jesus' name, amen.